This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Tansay, hello, and welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I hope you're all enjoying your summer out there. I can't believe summer is almost over. I recorded this episode with Leah Gazin around a month ago. And it was shortly after the finding and the discovery of the unmarked and mass graves of Indigenous children here in Canada. We talk a bit about that, as well as her journey as a Canadian politician who is elected to represent the riding of Winnipeg Centre in the House of Commons in Canada in the 2019 Canadian federal election. Leah was born in Thompson, Manitoba, and she is Lakota Chinese on her mother's side and Jewish on her father's side. We talk about the power behind both of those lineages and how she brings them forward in the work that she's doing here today within herself, but also collectively. So without further ado, say hi. I'm very excited to have Leah here with me today. Leah, thank you so much, Hi Hi, for being here. If you just want to introduce yourself, where you're from, thank you so much. Yes, hi. I'm I'm so happy to be with you today from Treaty uh, One Territory, homeland of the the Métis Nation. Um, and uh, I'm from uh, Wood Mountain Lakota Nation in Treaty Four Territory, Saskatchewan. I know you're from Saskatchewan as well. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a long way from home. I'm the member of Parliament for Winnipeg Centre, but my my heart is really with my home uh, home right now, especially with news coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Is we are currently filming this uh, episode at the beginning of July, so the end of Indigenous History Month, and there has been um, over a thousand bodies now found of Indigenous children throughout Turtle Island. And so how has the last month been for you? How are you feeling? Well, I think we knew, uh, like we did know. I mean, it was in the Truth and Reconciliation uh, report. Um, you know, we we know uh, that this happened uh, in residential schools. We knew that. Uh, mm-hmm. This is not uh, this is not uh, shocking. Uh, part of me feels at peace knowing that children will be brought home, um, but but it is a reminder, a sad reminder of the genocide that took place uh, at these schools. You know, I in my last couple of weeks of Parliament, I was pushing for the government to acknowledge what happened in residential schools as an act uh, of genocide uh, that has left rippling impacts for residential school warriors who are reliving, you know, very severe trauma with the information uh, coming out and intergenerational impacts. You know, I've been thinking a lot about my mom, uh, who was in a Catholic uh, orphanage uh, as a kid who grew up uh, in care uh, the last couple of weeks. And, you know, uh, you know, as it's a, it's a it's a really sad time, and um, mm-hmm. I think in saying that, I, I want to tell a story actually about that. Yeah, for sure. So I, I actually have spent a lot of time reflecting on it. I like to write. Uh, I write a lot of poetry and and stories. Um, today uh, I went for. I just got back to the city. Uh, I closed up a shop in Ottawa at the end of the session and uh, got back and went for my morning run. And the whole city was adorned uh, with orange ribbons 
the whole city. And as I was, and all the bridges, and as I was running by the bridges, I let the tips of my fingers touch those orange ribbons and let the spirit of our ancestors pierce my heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as sad as this time is, it's really beautiful to see people coming together in love and kindness to seek justice mm-hmm. uh, for the children, uh, for nations that are reeling with grief right now. That's really beautiful. And um, it, uh, it it was really powerful for me this morning on my run. Yeah, I can imagine. I felt that um, a couple days ago out here in Vancouver uh, at the Parliament building, they had the Cancel Canada Day, and it was like the biggest turnout we've ever seen in on the unceded Coast Salish Territory. Everyone just coming together, all races, wearing orange, all standing in solidarity. And so that inspired me. Like, I think that's the silver lining of this is Canadians are now waking up to the truth that Indigenous people have always known. And hopefully we can come together to seek justice. And so I think that's my next question is, what do you think is needed um, at the hands of the Canadian government and maybe also the Catholic Church? I know you already said that they need to acknowledge that it's a genocide, but I feel like through acknowledgement, they would have to be accountable for that genocide. And so I feel like that's why they're probably not saying it. But I'm curious to know, like, what do we need to have justice uh, take place? Well, I think, you know, I think it's important to note that as, you know, as this is uh, unraveling, you know, they're still fighting residential school survivors in court from St. Anne's residential school survivors. I can't think of anything more violent Mm -hmm. than just having to justify your own genocide for years. You know, they're still fighting First Nations kids in court. And let's not forget, you know, this was part of a larger agenda, you know, the re- one of the reasons, and from the time of colonization, has been to get us off uh, our lands. You know, residential school was one of the strategies to, you know, to assimilate us, to get us off our lands, often resulting in death. I mean, Dr. Peter Bryce reported, we knew this mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in, the, in the 1940s, that 30 to 50% of kids attending these schools were deliberately infected with tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. This is recorded. Mm-hmm. This is this is this was shared by Dr. Peter Bryce, who worked for the government of the day. So we knew this was going on. So I think we need real action. I think the yeah. government needs to acknowledge exactly what happened and not put residential school warriors in a position where they have to justify whether their experience was genocide or not. Mm-hmm. What happened in residential school is clearly falls under Article 2 of the UN Convention on Genocide. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, immediate, the government needed to immediately implement all the calls to action that came out of the TRC that relate to their jurisdiction and responsibility, they need to heed the calls to justice. The 231 calls to justice in the na- for um, in the national inquiry uh, into murdered and missing uh, women um, uh, and girls in two spirit. They need to stop fighting residential school survivors in court. They need to mm-hmm. stop fighting First Nations kids. And they need to stop violently removing Indigenous peoples off their lands, sometimes at the end of sniper guns. If mm-hmm. we're going to reconcile in this country, we need truth. And if we have the truth, then we have to respond with the truth to ensure that Indigenous peoples 
in this place that we now call Canada are afforded minimum human rights, something that is not occurring today. You know, and children continue to be impacted uh, with what Murray Sinclair actually pointed out, uh, former Senator Murray Sinclair, uh, a couple of years ago, the child welfare system, which he likened to the new residential school system. I mm-hmm. think we need to be honest about how normalized uh, systemic racism and violence and ongoing genocide is that our minimum human rights are still up for debate. We need to end that now. Well, and the fact that they're putting, like, I think I read a post, like, over $100 million fighting uh, residential school survivors in court. And it's like, what are you doing with that money when you could be putting that into our communities directly? Like, the fact that we're still talking about clean drinking water and all these things that happen in our communities, and there's literally been no action taken, um, it sometimes makes me feel hopeless. And so, for me, you know, for a citizen of Canada, what do we need to be doing to make sure that our actions and our voices are being implemented in Parliament in the House of Commons. Is your suggestion just continuously writing or is there other ways that people can start to take action? Well, I can tell you this government, as all governments, spend between $500 million to a $1 billion a year fighting Indigenous peoples in court. In mm, fact, I just wow. have put, yeah, I just um, uh, requested information from Minister Bennett's office to find out how much her department has budgeted this year to fight Indigenous peoples wow. in court. I want to know. I yeah. want to know what the plan is in terms of trying to fight us against us realizing a respect of our minimum human rights. So yeah. I'll, I'll put that out there. I think it's a powerful time. I, you know, I was uh, one of the organizers in Winnipeg uh, during mm-hmm. I Don't Know More. It was, you know, and I've been at this a long time. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm almost 50 now. Like during uh, the siege of Ganesatage, I was in a tent in the front of the Manitoba legislature of, as an 18-year-old, you know, mm-hmm. camping out. And we were alone. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the only ally I used to joke that we had were in a white van parked mm. on the ground taking pictures and I don't think they were allies <laughs> like, we were, we were to- <laughs> totally alone you, you see what happened the other day you know mm. people need to recognize how powerful their voice is as an individual is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in terms of pushing the pendulum it doesn't matter what age you are either. Like, look at all the youth around the world who have put the climate emergency front and center. Mm-hmm. You know, look at what happened in BC. Yeah, with you I know. Daddy, yeah. for justice, justice for a protection uh, of our Mother Earth, uh, the waters a clean, healthy, and safe uh, environment as a human right, something that I had in a private member's bill that got violently uh, taken down uh, by mm. all parties, uh, by the Conservative and the Liberal uh, Party. <laughs> but they got 64 votes, but, you know, it was a long <laughs> way from passing. But uh, my bill, uh, Bill C-232. Uh, but I think we need to continue to organize at all levels. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm not going to tell somebody what action they have to take or should take. Just act. And yeah, we act yeah. in different ways, like art, mm-hmm. uh, writing, mm-hmm. uh, writing, publishing, gatherings, you know, taking up space in colonial 
violent colonial spaces like the House of Commons. Yeah, exactly. You know, know? so just act. Yeah, and I think you brought up a good point of we all have different ways of what activism looks like. And so like supporting one another, even though we may not sometimes agree with what one another is doing, because I know sometimes taking up space in a colonial space, um, sometimes people may not support that. But sometimes our voices are needed within the systems to actually create tangible change. And you brought up uh, passing certain bills. And I'm actually curious to know, I was doing a little bit of research on Bill C-10. I don't know if you know Bill C-10 all about like censorship that they're trying to pass and like bill c36 about like what's hate speech online and you could potentially like get fined um i'm curious to know like are those bills actually going to be passed because i feel like that's gonna affect my life as a content creator yeah so so i don't uh, Mm. actually because um the senate has shut down for the session Mm. Uh, Bill C-10, there was two uh, key bills. Bill C-6 was the conversion therapy Mm. to make it illegal. Like the the 50s called, they want their conversion therapy back. Like seriously, like the fact that we, we, we still in this country, that's that practice is still legal uh, is just abhorrent. And Bill C-10, both that were um, up, uh, for debate in the Senate, I don't think that we'll be coming back. Mm, um, I think we will be going into an election. Uh, that's my prediction. Uh, I'd, I, we're supposed to go back on September 20th. I would I would find it very highly unlikely that we will. And, and in that case, those bills will die mm, if we go into a new an election. election. Well, that's yeah. good to know. And then speaking about election, I know I've had a few questions coming in from my followers of, how does one person, if you're Indigenous or even non-Indigenous, how does one person get into Parliament? What would your advice be for one seeking to get into the House of Commons? Well, I, I, here here's the thing. So I was asked for about 10 years to run in different ways, like provincially, municipally, um, you know, federally. I'm a longtime academic, mm-hmm. uh, so I had a really nice life. I actually really um, like thinking and feeling and in in academia allowed me to do that it gave me the privilege to be able to think and to reflect on thinking and share and learn it's like being in a constant state of learning um but i really felt like it was a critical juncture like we're really at a critical juncture the ocean's on fire yeah literally that is literally uh, on fire. You know, we we're in a pandemic, what I've been calling a growing corporate dictatorship, where we see growing inequality and a normalization of violating human rights. I think more so than becoming a politician, I think it's about having purpose. Mm. You know, I ran, my, my vision was very clear. I'm a long time, a grassroots, uh, person Mm -hmm. uh, that I wanted to bring voices on the outside and the inside. And I've stayed true to that promise in saying that it's a tough, it's a tough go. Uh, There's no more colonial place than the House of Commons. Let's not forget that's where they wrote the Indian Act. And I think um, to go there with purpose, uh, to not make it about yourself, but about the people that you represent, that you're obligation is to lift up voices on the ground Mm. so a lot of the um things that i bring to the house of commons are just elevating voices on the ground to give space uh, and place 
particularly for for voices that haven't been represented. Um, I encourage you know to to get involved. Uh, even if you want to go get into uh, this kind of politic to to work on campaigns, but I think um, most important is to have reason. Like, mm. why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. You know. And for me, I just felt like my community, which is the third poorest riding um, uh, in in the country, really needs some needed somebody to like fight hard to yeah. get housing. To deal with with the human rights crisis that we have uh, in Winnipeg Center, mm-hmm. you know, um, we have a beautiful, beautiful community uh, in Winnipeg, particularly Winnipeg Center. We are we are uh, leaders, I believe, in many movements around the country. We have heart, we have grit, mm-hmm. um, you know. As as much disparity, we have that that will to fight for justice. It is an incredible riding to represent and knowing who you are, you know, uh, knowing who you are, uh, where you come from, what you value and having clear bottom lines. So I think this is really important. I don't want to go on and on, but you know, when you're in that environment and it's so racist, the only thing you have is your identity yeah, and that becomes your shield in the world. And, and you only have your integrity. So when I ran, I had five clear bottom lines, and here they are. Um, is how I'm voting, uh, does it honor human rights? Does it honor Indigenous rights? Will we uh, meet climate targets? And are, are you asking me to break the rule of law? Because the rule of law has nothing to do with policing. It has to do with upholding the Constitution. And that includes Aboriginal rights and title, mm-hmm. in fact. That includes uh, ensuring that people's human rights, minimum human rights are met in this country. So those are my bottom lines. Yeah. Those are my very, and to stay true to, always to stay true to my integrity. And if it meets that five criteria, I'm on board. If it doesn't, I'm not on board. And I've stayed true to that. That's tough and it can be lonely at times. I was going to say, because I could imagine walking into the House of Commons just knowing that it was the very same institution that put harm in Indigenous communities and oftentimes feeling like the only one there. And so I'm curious to know, how do you reclaim your power and your truth when you are maybe questioning yourself or feeling overwhelmed or burnt out? How do you remain rooted and authentic in your power? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I've been at this a long time, you know, so like, you know, I'm almost 50. And I think that, you know, I've had my trials and turbulations, a lot of them. I actually work out every day. Sweet. I do like deadlifting. Oh, nice. nice. <laughs> like, I don't, like I don't do light cardio. I like <laughs> lift heavy weights and like deadlift and throw it on the ground and, <laughs> You know, I, I went for a 6K jog this morning because I haven't worked out for a couple of weeks. And I saw the orange ribbons and I just touched those ribbons and I, and I, it gives me time to reflect and think. And I write. Writing. Yeah, I write yeah. poetry. I write stories. Um, my mom was a, a sun dancer. And mm. so I have that connection with spirit. And so I never really feel alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never feel alone because I always feel like I'm carrying my ancestors in my heart. And I know that some people might think that sounds corny, 
But I always say, like, my ancestors, my parents, they're my ancestors now, uh, my relatives, I carry them in my heart. And it just gives me strength. Mm-hmm. And to know it's bigger than me, you know, I'm yeah. very privileged. Yeah. I am so privileged to have that seat. You know, if I wasn't there, who would be taking up that space? It is a privilege. I never lose sight of that privilege. I have a home that I get to live in. You know, I have clean drinking water. Mm -hmm. You know, I have food security at this point in my life. Uh, It's a lot of privilege. Uh, I respect that privilege. Uh, And I work really hard. And I fight hard for the people who trusted me to represent them because I love this community mm-hmm. uh, and it is an honor uh, to, to be able to represent the good people of Winnipeg Centre because we are, I'm telling you, I got back yesterday, uh, you know, I said to my partner, I just feel so good to be home. And then when I was running today and I see the bridges adorned all throughout the riding in red and orange ribbons, I said, we are such a good community mm-hmm. how loving and kind that is so loving and kind i'm getting emotional yeah but i love this. i really do love this community it is a really special community and i feel really privileged well i think i think that's beautiful to know that like that's how i feel like running in parliament or when you are in parliament like that's how you should be it's not really for you it's not individualistic it's for the greater good and for community and coming back to kinship and coming back to even your relatives and like the generation before you is why you're still able to keep going um and i'm curious to know a little bit more about uh your relatives and where you grew up and what that was like uh for you because did you always you said you were and an academic before you got into parliament but what about that like when you were when you were younger what was your dream and how did you get to where you are now so i have quite a story mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people know so my father was a holocaust survivor from holland he was the only surviving child after the war five survivors both sides of my family in total so the fact that i'm here as a descendant of the only surviving child of the holocaust it's pretty amazing my mom was a Chinese Lakota woman from from Wood Mountain Lakota Nation. Grew mm. up in care because my grandmother could not look after her. So ended up on the streets at five, five years of age, was in 15 different placements. Um, between the age of five and 18. And so I have that common story of a family that has been pretty much decimated by child welfare I am residential schools. That's my story. And, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that's the story of my family and and community. Um, And my family has uh, really suffered uh, in as a result of that. So, you know, my mom, I was luckily, you know, um, my mom was a historian and wanted to learn about her family. Um, And so that's how we connected with my nation. And so it's really interesting when you are a descendant of genocides from two parts of the world, because you learn culture and community through family and a community. The only community I had, my my grandfather was um, kind of a love him and leave him type. type. I'm not going to give you a family studies course here. So the, <laughs> <laughs> this is a true story. My whole, my other side of the family was, was killed uh, during the war. And so the only uh, culture and community I've ever been able to identify is with my relatives from Wood Mountain, Lakota Nation. 
And it's a beautiful place. It's a powerful place. Uh, I think we could be the smallest reserve in the country right now. There was 17 people there, 1717. Wow. <laughs> but it's actually the place where Sitting Bull had his last Sundance. And when you when you walk through the 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 hills, like it's a hilly, it's beautiful, hilly place in Saskatchewan, you can feel that spirit mm. there. So I think coming from that kind of background um, and coming from such a powerful history um, teaches you resilience. It's like it. It's like um, you you learn. It's in your blood memory. I was just gonna say that you're like you don't even really have to try to be resilient because you're inherently resilient. I mean, to have um, come from survivors of the Holocaust, I was. Uh, watching Dr. Gaber Maté, I believe his name is, and he talks oh. about trauma and how yeah. it influences us. And he was like, I don't want to um, compare trauma with trauma, but like what happened to in the Holocaust and what happened here in Canada had the like same effects on people's bloodlines and yeah. people's lineages. And so I'm curious to know, like, do you see a similarity or differences? Obviously, they're very two differences, but to have them both within your bloodline, like I can see how you're so powerful and continue to uh, keep your voice going and demand change. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, growing up with uh, two sur survivors of genocide, um, like it was pretty intense in my family. Like it was so intense that <laughs> when I was younger, my father said, if I didn't have a family, I'd be fighting with the Sandinistas. Like it was like that. It was like super intense. But my father was a really special guy. You know, he, um, he, he used to say like genocide is genocide. Like let's not have the oppression Olympics. Yeah. And exactly. so, you know, he always um, highlighted the genocide of Indigenous peoples. Uh, mm. He, you know, uh, in Canada as being a similar kind of, of genocide, but an ongoing uh, genocide. Mm. And I have to say, like, um, you know, as a younger person, like growing up, coming from that kind of background in my 20s, you know, I, I went for counseling because, you know, I say to people who uh, are settlers, I say, look, I've had to go for therapy mm -hmm. to deal with my colonial trauma. You need to deal with your own stuff. I have to, I've had to spend a lifetime dealing with my stuff. <laughs> but, but looking at my history, it was in my younger 20s that I realized um, how the things that I was experiencing were very much... Um, uh, very much connected to both histories uh, in my family. Um, you know, I, I, I've made no bones about it. What happened and what is continuing to happen in this place we now call Canada is willful genocide. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened in residential school was genocide full stop. And I don't know if you've read the article uh, on the Article 2 that defines the UN Convention on Genocide. Uh, um, yeah. But I, I'm going to read it to you. I think it's important. And mm -hmm. this is, and I kept reading it over and over and over um, again in the House of Commons until finally uh, one of the uh, members of parliament uh, from the Liberal government, uh, you know, I asked it over and over again, acknowledged that yes, that would. 
uh, fall under the UN Convention uh, of Genocide. I'm just looking it up here. Why do you think that they won't say it's genocide? Well, I think it has international implications. Certainly no uh, country wants to acknowledge their own genocide. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, uh, but for whatever reasons, you know, if we are ever going to reconcile in this country, we need the truth. Mm -hmm. And what happened and what continues to happen, uh, you know, in Canada um, is genocide. So the convention, this is this is the Article 2 of the UN Convention on Genocides, the definition of genocide. There's no um, convention, UN Convention, for cultural genocide. It's, just, it's either genocide or it's not mm. uh, genocide. It says, um, in the present convention, genocide means any of the following acts committed with the intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, or religious group as such, A, killing members of the group, B, causing seriously bodily or mental harm to members of the group, C, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, D, imposing measures intended to present births within the group, E, forcefully transferring children of the group to another group. Mm-hmm. It's very clear to me. It's, yeah. Very clear. And and let's not forget that young girls were sterilized in residential schools and Indigenous women today continue to be forced forcefully sterilized uh, in this country. I was just going to bring up that a lot of the time people think that this is a thing of a past, but they don't understand that this is like the entire foundation that Canada has been built upon and continues to. Like like you're saying, the forced sterilization, missing murdered Indigenous women and girls, and two-spirit crisis. Um, my cousin, I don't know if you know him, Breen Wallet. he's actually running for NDP Vancouver Centre. Yeah, that's my cousin. So. <laughs> uh, I love Breen. He's yeah, so wonderful. He's so good and he's so smart and i'm just like uh it, we both come from the same lineage so i can feel like uh, his power behind his words but i was just listening to him talk last week and he was like this is genocide and apartheid and the canadian government the federal institution needs to go to international courts for this and i was like is that even possible like he didn't even he didn't even put that into my awareness until he said that he's like they need to go to international courts so now he's trying to find like indigenous lawyers to team up with to start to create some kind of momentum or movement because Canada does need to take accountability. But I feel like, I don't know, I feel like they're just avoiding it for as long as they can because it comes with a price tag and there's a lot of things they need to be doing. (laughs) Well, I think it's one step at a time. I think first we need truth. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that you asked a question. I think with my father's side, uh, you know, the acknowledgement of genocide, that gives me some peace that 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 experience and the intergenerational impacts that's had, which means that I had no family. That's what that means. Mm-hmm. When your whole family is killed, it means you have no family. Mm-hmm. I know what that feels like. I know what that feels like. It feels terrible. So to have it acknowledged for what it is, it matters. Uh that's not true for my mom, who experienced the worst abuses. My my sweet mother, mm-hmm. who was 
you know, luckily very gifted. So she survived, became an award-winning psychiatric nurse, uh, changed uh, legislation uh, for people with mental health issues. So she was one of the people, in fact, that started the program so that people suffering from mental health issues could live in the community in Saskatchewan, mm. in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, award-winning psychiatric nurse, social worker, researcher. Uh, she survived, but never in her life was her experience acknowledged. Mm. And I remember her telling me a story, and I thought it was so funny. Up until about a week ago, when all of this came out, she said, you know, when I was in the convent, they used to send us out to pick, pick choke cherries. She And I love choke cherries. My mom mm-hmm. loved choke cherries. Oh, I love choke cherries. You know how I love choke cherries. So as I was picking, I was eating as much as I was picking. And I was trying to be sneaky. So I was taking my white cloth in the front and I was, I was wiping my teeth with it. So of course, she's a little, little, little person. She came back and her whole bib was purple. And they said, Marjorie, were you eating choke cherries? And she said, nope, 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 nope. Marjorie, you are eating choke cherries. Mm-hmm. Nope, 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 nope. And she said, and she said, and she told me that story. But I can't imagine the punishment. Mm-hmm. That's the part of the story that she never shared with me for eating those choke cherries. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about those choke cherries. What happened to my mother was genocide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What happened to that side of my family and the impacts that it has had on my family is genocide. How violent, how violent to do that to nations of people and children and families and then deny it. That's mm-hmm. violent. That is so violent to me. Mm-hmm. They need to stop being violent. They need to stop fighting residential school uh, children in court they need to stop fighting first nations kids in court they need to stop using militarized police to drag us off our lands like it's some sort of normal behavior they need to stop the violence if we are going to reconcile in this country we need truth and we need justice and that means respecting human rights this is not a lot to ask you know and as i see these orange ribbons adorned on the bridges People are getting it, how kind and loving, mm-hmm. how kind and loving that acknowledgement of truth. That is powerful. Yeah. That was probably the most powerful jog. And as I was at about four kilometers in and I wanted to quit and I saw those orange ribbons and I thought, I'm going to jog to the end for those beautiful little children who never made it home. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be strong and I'm going to fight for justice in my moment of reflection, as I said, and then I wrote a poem when I got back and tweet it out today with a picture. Yeah. Yeah. To honor the children. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. And just to know that it is genocide. And sometimes even I like to distance myself from my own family story because it feels so overwhelming to feel and knowing that this is the driving force that creates change is through our feeling and through our emotions and through processing it, whatever way that looks. And I think for non-Indigenous people, there are often a lot of questions of like, well, how can I support Indigenous communities? Like, how can I support reconciliation? Like, what does that look like? And if you were to offer a piece of advice for non-Indigenous 
business people out there, what would your advice be to start the relationship building and to start the reconciliation process? Well, I think we need to talk about privilege and power. And part of of reconciling means sharing privilege and power. I mean, corporations certainly yeah, yeah. Uh, that seem to have more privilege than uh, Indigenous peoples on, on Turtle Island. They're certainly not ready to give up their privilege and power. Uh, corporations that are supported by governments of all stripes, uh, of all parties, uh, you know, uh, I think, you know, we need to get real um, about why things are the way they are today. Mm-hmm. And we need to reconcile, uh, you know, with our history and how it's reflected today. The same agenda is re- reflected still today. So when I, see, when I hear a dark chapter, it's not a dark chapter. It's an ongoing book with multiple chapters. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we need to acknowledge truth and then we need action. Um, you know, we need real action uh, to make sure that um, justice uh, is achieved. And that means uh, proper housing, uh, access to clean drinking water, a toilet, the ability to raise our own children, the ability to speak our languages, mm. you know, uh, you know, um, to practice our spirituality. Uh, and that, and that is connected to land mm-hmm. because when you dispossess people of their land, you dispossess them of their power. Our culture is directly rooted in our lands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge that. Um, you know, so I think we have a long way to go. I think there's very clear actions that could be taken tomorrow. I mean, it's huge. We have 231 calls to justice. We have TRC uh, calls to action, uh, some related to the federal government and other institutions like the Catholic Church, for example, should pay the $25 million in, in, in retribution uh, that's owed, for example. Um, you know, the Pope should apologize, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not saying we feel for you, but the Pope needs to, we need, uh, needs to apologize. Um, you know, we have, I said, the 231 calls to justice, the calls uh, to action, stop fighting residential schools, survivors in court, um, you know, uh, you know, stop fighting First Nations kids. And just to add, in the TRC, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples is mentioned 16 times as the mm. framework for reconciliation. Bill C-15 was passed, but that those fundamental rights need to be lifted up mm-hmm. and honoured. Because I don't think the colonial government's behavior is going to change. It's another legal tool, but they need to lift it up now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been hearing that. Um, I was hearing someone else talk, and they're saying, I have no faith in the uh, federal institution, but I have faith that if we keep doing it from different angles, that we may actually create change. And so I'm hoping to see that for the next um, 2021. And that brings me up to my next question. Like, what do you have in store for the rest of your year for 2021? How is that looking for you? Um, Yeah, what's what's on the horizon for you? Well, um, 
you know, we just finished session. I love my community. I'm actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, heading out in the community uh, after the podcast. I cannot wait to just hang with the good people of Winnipeg Centre. Uh, frontline organizations keep fighting for resources. Uh, we've managed to get some really cool projects, uh, housing projects like the village at the Thunderbird House, which is kind of like a meeting place, uh, low barrier, 24 low barrier um, housing uh, for people experiencing the worst mental health and trauma, in fact, uh, uh, issues, uh, issues of poverty at low barrier space. So people can just, with, which will have a place for ceremony, a place mm. for, 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 um, sleeping, uh, in warmth, uh, supports. It's with lots of wraparound, um, uh, supports. We had, uh, after many years of, of battle, uh, a 24 seven safe space finally opened, uh, for women, girls, 2SLGBTQQIA. Um, folks in our riding and I just I'm really looking forward to working with the brilliance of Winnipeg Center and the leaders uh, on the ground uh, in Winnipeg Center to keep building our community mm-hmm. to be a human right beacon let's not not a, a community that's riddled with human rights violations but a, a community that honors uh, the human rights of all of our constituents well, it's all, it always comes back to community and coming back to kinship. And I know you mentioned your mother a few times in this conversation. And so I'm curious to know, how would you define a matriarch and are there matriarchs that you are currently inspired by? Well, I think my mother, you know, uh, I, because I've been thinking a lot about my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother um, went through horrific experiences in her life yet um she at the end of her life she was uh so gentle and loving and she had this way i'm writing a story about my mom but she Mm. had this way of making everybody feel like they were the special one and that is a real gift Mm -hmm. Uh, she emulated kindness and she was very quietly spiritual, even though she was like a lead sun dancer. She, she was very quiet in her spirituality, very humble, very gentle, uh, very non-judgmental and very kind and taught me probably one of the most, um, important lessons in life, honoring her matriarch, which was her mother. I wrote a chapter about it, actually. I loved my mom. I adored my mom. And, you know, one, one day I, I asked her, you know, mom, you know, how, how can you forgive your mother? Like, she left you on the streets, mom. Like, I couldn't imagine somebody treating my mother with such disregard and me trying to understand my grandmother. Mm. And she said, you know, Leah, my mother, in spite of everything she went through, she was a terrible alcoholic, but during the pregnancy, she gave me everything I needed to be okay in life. She didn't drink mm. a good mind, a healthy body. She did the best she could with what she knew. And for that, I will always love her. Mm. That is really powerful teachings um, of forgiveness. And certainly, you know, as I get older and, you know, kind of reflect on what power truly is, um, you know, the, you know, what my role uh, in the world is, 
my role, I feel, you know, not doesn't mean that I'm not going to fight for things, but to be fiercely kind. Mm -hmm. Kindness is powerful. And the matriarchs that I revere, I honor, I want to honor my mother right now, just because of the news coming out. I really Mm -hmm. feel a need to honor my mother. But the matriarchs that I revere are fearlessly loving and kind. And I'll tell you one one last thing, you know, because I know we're coming to an end. You know, for a long time, you know, I fought because I told you it was intense growing up. It was like we were always at rallies. Uh, There was never a time where, like, during the apartheid movement with South Africa, I was at socials raising money. Like, I was always, my parents were always, like, frontline activists my whole life. (laughs) And then I was fighting, and I'm, like, fighting, fighting. And I'm always part, and I'm working full-time academic and doing activism, doing 17-hour days. And then one day I was just exhausted. I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I doing this? And I thought, I know what I'm doing. I'm fighting for the right to joy. Mm. I'm fighting for the right to joy for myself, for my son, for my family and community, because everything was put in place to rip us of our joy. So being joyous and joyful and loving and kind is a revolutionary act. Literally. So that's what I want to move for. I want to be joyous. I want to celebrate with community. I want to build on all our goodness and kindness and strength because we are still here and we are powerful. That is such a good note to end on (laughs) because we got to be talking as much about our joy and our celebration and our successes as much as our trauma. It's the balance of both energies to um, become whole and to become integrated and to walk this world in a healthy way. And I'm very excited to see what you have in store for the rest of 2021 and also our communities, also the Winnipeg community out there. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I'm watching you online. Hopefully I can visit sometime soon. Oh, Uh, please do. You will love it. Yeah. It is a beautiful place. Yeah. I've only been there like twice and I haven't really had a taste of the community yet. And you just, uh, I need to, after talking to you, I'm like, I need to go back and I need to visit and spend some time out there. Yeah, You will love it. And please let me know and I'll take you around. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Last question. How can people support you and your work and everything that you're up to? Well, I think we're going into an election. So if you want to donate, but just, just kidding, but not, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, just a volunteer. But I think at the, at the end of the day, um, we're really um, unimportant. I think you can help me by keeping the movement building, whether it's for climate justice, human rights, uh, pushing the, the, the calls to justice board for the national inquiry, um, into murdered and missing Indigenous uh, women and girls, pushing the government to implement their calls, their responsibility to calls to action uh, coming from the TRC, speaking out so that, mm-hmm. we can, you know, we are at a critical juncture. And when you are rising, when we rise, it empowers voices on the inside to fight for change. Mm-hmm. I'm just another, I'm just another branch of, all of our efforts to fight for a better world. 
I love that uh, perception. You're like a conduit into into the House of Commons yeah. for the community. I love that. I love that uh, reflection and that representation. Well, thank you so much, thank uh, you. Leah, it's for being here, for sharing your story. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling inspired. Uh, make sure to follow Leah's work. You can also follow her on Instagram. Yeah, so okay, can I give you my handle? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, I believe, so it's Leah Gazan on Twitter. Sweet. It's... Leah Gazan on uh, Instagram. I don't even know my handles. Isn't that funny? And I believe it's Leah Gazan MP on Facebook. Awesome. Yeah, so follow me online. That would be great. Yeah, I'll drop the handles in the description. Uh, hi, hi. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0h at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and write where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in.